Hello and welcome to the Friday Reporter Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Camuso-Miller. I'm a public affairs professional in Washington, D.C., and I interview members of the media about their background, about how they got into journalism, and lots of other topics. The Friday Reporter is a PR Daily podcast. Check out PR Daily for ideas, inspiration, and trends on all things public affairs and to find the Friday Reporter podcast. Well, thanks so much for joining me today for another episode of the Friday Reporter podcast. Today's episode is a little different, a little switch around and a little bit of an opportunity to talk about uh, different models of, of media and how media has evolved and changed over the course of time. I've been doing this thing 25 years, and my guest today has been doing it maybe a few years less than that, but Aaron Harrison from the Washington Free Beacon is with me today. He's on the management side of, of public affairs and public, uh, excuse me, publications, and he does a great job at this terrific publication here in Washington, D.C. Harrison, thanks so much for being with me today. Hey, thanks for having me, Lisa. It's great to be able to talk to you. It's been a, it's been a little bit of a while, but I, I I always enjoyed our conversations, and you know I miss working with you. I know. Well, I'm hoping it feels like the world's coming back. It feels it feels a little bit like normal is on its way, and we are way way overdue. What did something happen over the past year? <laughs> Something's changed. I just kind of checked out. You know, <laughs> I, I I unplugged and. That's so good. Well, we've had more time for family and more time for other stuff. But I will say that the reason why I've said this before, and I'll say it again, the reason why I started the podcast is because I missed my friends. I missed talking to people about, you know, the craft that we're in and the stuff that we do. But so Aaron, for the purposes of the of the listeners, uh, tell me a little bit about you and I started obviously in politics, we started working together years ago, we've been friends a long time. Tell me though, um, how you got started and tell me a little bit about your professional background and then let's get into talking about the beacon and what you guys do there. Sure. Uh, well, for me, it, it was, it ended up being a, a competitive outlet. Um, I'm a failed athlete. Um, <laughs> I was a baseball player in high school. I wanted to go to college and play baseball. I ended up, uh, I, I made the team and I got one at, at my career. So that tells you how great I was. Oh man. Um, but it's so competitive. Time, you though. know, I'm a, <laughs> but you know I'm, at the same time I'm like I'm competitive and 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 over you know uh you know growing up politics always interested me you mm-hmm. know there's a scoreboard at the end of the day yep and there's winners and losers so I got a chance <laughs> yeah and so uh when I was in college uh I got a chance uh to work on a congressional campaign and I had never worked on a campaign before um I ended up being a uh, basically the driver for a guy that was running in the second district of Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I spent uh, I spent a whole summer uh, just in his big red Dodge Dually with him, or and sometimes him and his wife driving all over the eastern half of the state. My gosh! Um, you know, 300 miles a day on a car. You know, we would go to barbecue after candidate forum after you know sh- just everything under the sun. Um, and, you know, ate more peach cobbler and, and pecan pie than, than I think a, a human is allowed to consume over that <laughs> yeah. period of time. All of our diets on those campaigns were pretty rough. <laughs> they were not yeah, a picture I mean, of perfection. It was, it, I, I thought I survived the freshman 15. I did this campaign between my freshman and sophomore year in college. And, and uh, yeah, that summer, phew, 15 was easily <laughs> Easy achieved. <done. laughs> um, but, you know, over the course, of, I, it was just, it was just such an incredible experience. I, I in this campaign, uh, you know, we would go to these random debates. Um, you know, there was like six guys running in the, in the Republican primary. Um, 
one of one of the guys uh, had a heart attack on stage uh, during oh one of the debates. That, that was uh, <laughs> uh, he ended up being fine. Uh, yeah. There was no fatalities, but it was Thank terrifying. Goodness, but that's dramatic, um, yeah. Yeah, so there's that. Um, another candidate uh, was a hotel operator um, whose hotel exploded about two weeks uh, before the primary election wow. uh, because a meth lab that he was running uh, what? Uh, caught fire. Oh uh, so, gosh. you know, stuff like that's going on. You know, yeah. we're, we're, I got I, I got experience like what, seeing how, you know, a political ad is cut. Is cut. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was the production assistant. I was getting coffee. I was, you know, arranging all the stuff. I was videotaping events. So I got, I really got a good taste of just like every bit of as, every aspect of, of a political campaign. And I was mm-hmm. like, hey, this is something that finally interests me. You were hooked. Uh, you know, this is what you could do with a history degree. This is what you could do with a poli sci, you know, focus. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, because the, the the run of the mill stuff was always like, oh, you know, if you're into this stuff, well, you just go to law school. And I was like, well, I don't really have a desire to be a lawyer. Yeah. I know plenty of lawyers <laughs> so that say the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right. So it's like, a, it's a great competitive outlet. Um, I ended up uh, doing an internship up here in the house uh, after that election. My guy lost. We got creamed in the primary. Uh, oh, but, but you learn more in the losses than you do in the wins, don't you? I do. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it was, it was nice for me. I'm a Republican, but I actually worked for a Democrat uh, Interesting. when I came up here. Uh-huh. And it was cool. I had a couple buddies that were also working in other offices for my college. And then, you know, it's like, I don't know. If, did you do a, an internship in D.C.? I did my internships in, in New Jersey politics, which is a different kind of schooling. <laughs> but yes, yeah. the best times well, of I, my I life. Mean, DC, yeah. A Hill in- internship up here in the summer of 2001 was summer camp. I was, was, was say, it's like spring break. So fun. Yeah. We had Chandra <laughs> Lee. We had the Chandra Levy thing going oh, on. Right. It was a uh, couple months before nine 11. You know, if you were, if you were an intern and had the, the, the glorious red badge st- sticking on the uh, outside of your, your sport coat, you know, you thought you were king of the hill. Yeah. It was awesome. yeah. Um, so I knew I was coming to DC after that. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to work in politics, but, the challenge, you know, there's barriers to entry up here if, if you, you know, don't have a, a family friend or a relative that's like in the industry. And yeah. so um, I went to gr- the graduate school of political management of GW and, mm-hmm. and I did that at night. And during the day I was doing internships. I was fetching coffee, making 15 bucks an hour and spending every dime of it. Yeah. Um, you know, Hard not to. It's expensive town. Did the whole the whole Clarendon thing up here, but uh, I ended up falling into to work as a subcontractor doing opposition research, and mm-hmm. I did that for about five years, or not five, but it was like three, three or four, mm-hmm. um, traveling over the country and, and going in and out of courthouses looking for vulnerabilities on candidates, you know, on our side, and, and obviously vulnerabilities on the other side. Right. Um, so I got that experience, and uh, I led that to uh, basically going to be another coffee fetcher for a media firm here in town that was producing ads. So I, I got to see how the research was used into the ads and incorporated with the polling, and and it was fun. And that's how I ended up at the RNC. Yeah, yeah. And we had fun. We had a good. We had. That was a good time. It was good times. Well, I um, mean, it was the, it was. In terms of politics, it was incredible. Like it was to the 2008 race started in 2006. Like, yeah, it, it was wild. Yeah, we were part of history. I mean, that was so early that it started, and it was just so um, 
well, the hyper-partisanship has always been here, but like it just feels like the volume and the temperature continues to rise and rise. But that then is what lands you then now, uh, after many years, you guys have been super successful building this great brand that's the Washington Free Beacon. Talk to me a little bit about how you guys identify yourself, because you really are... Um, you're new on the scene here in DC over the course of the last 10 or so years. Tell me a little bit about the brand. Help my audience kind of understand who is the Washington Free Beacon and what kinds of news is it that that the team that you work with uh, working on every day? Well, what we wanted to do is we wanted to to kind of professionalize reporting on the right, Mm -hmm. or I should say more like of the right. You know, what, the Free Beacon was kind of born out of frustration between myself. I was I had ended up working on the McCain campaign, and and my colleague Michael Goldfarb uh, was also on the McCain campaign, and mm-hmm. and we over the course of the ensuing couple of years had just been a little bit frustrated with being able to get you know conservative information out into a liberal press. Mm-hmm. You know, I know that the liberal the whole media liberal media trope has just been beaten to death, but the fact is is that mainstream media is comprised of like 85% liberals and 14% socialists. <laughs> and there's no getting around that. Like, the, you know, the, your typical news story is reported by a liberal, it's edited by a liberal, and then it's published by a liberal. It's just like, that's the way it is. The New York Times, Washington Post, Politico, Axios, you name it, up and down, up and down the, 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 the line, television and radio, it, that's you know, I don't think that the most media bias is, is active and, and malicious, but I think it's just a matter. It's just a fact of life. Mm. And so we're frustrated with that. Like working on the McCain campaign, everybody was in love with Obama. Yeah, and you half felt the media went to go work in the Obama administration. There, there was. You know, there so was a lot of that. You know this. Like, mm-hmm. it, how many how many stories did you try to pitch that were then sold out to the other side via the media member you were pitching? I've been lucky enough to not have that happen, but I've had colleagues who have definitely felt that way. And it's hard, I think, to your point, when you enter into a conversation, if you feel that way, having been on the McCain campaign, you're coming to a conversation with someone you believe already is, uh, has counted you out. It's very difficult to feel like you have a space where you can go and communicate the ideas and the policies that you want to communicate. Um, when you feel as if the conversation is already started off, uh, in a lopsided way. So that, that makes sense to me. Yeah. And, and so, you know, as, as young staffers, you know, getting our, our teeth knocked out every day uh, on the campaign and trying to trying to compete in this crazy media environment. Um, you know, the, the free beacon was kind of born out of frustration. There was nobody on our side that truly existed that could put real cold, hard facts out and go report and ask hard questions. Mm-hmm. We had the, the, the right dominated opinion. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we had, we had talk radio, we had great columnists, we had, you know, a couple of token talking heads on every Sunday show and, and, and TV panel, mm-hmm. but you didn't have the reporting outlet mm-hmm. and that was missing on our side. And the, and the, and the left was doing a great job at like starting these outlets. Like, you know, at the time, the center for American progress was funding a couple of things like think progress. You know, you had talking points memo, you had the Huffington post that were all coming up and they were doing real reporting and, you know, as somebody that was working on the right, like they were jamming us up every day. Yeah, there was yeah. like this, uh, there was a very big rise of a lot of really smart, thoughtful 
outlets that were unapologetically liberal. And you mentioned right. a few of them. And there was really this vacuum on the opposite side, right? So there needed to be a balance. And you guys really, you saw that sight line and you, and you went for it. And, and so, and also, we you know, we needed a farm system. You know, it was like uh, we, we had the think publications. We had big thinking publications mm-hmm. that were relevant and, 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 you know, affected policy. We had National Review. We had the Weekly Standard. Mm-hmm. Um, there was no place that did the daily hour-to-hour reporting. And so that's really where the Free Beacon came in. And our thought was if we can get a young core of reporters, give them professional training, mm-hmm. teach them how to deal with operatives, with uh, – with staffers and campaigns and also, you know, the people that, that make this country tick, if we gave them professional training as reporters, perhaps they would pursue careers in that. And boy, and you so guys have graduated some superstars. Yeah. I mean, you have really, so, the farm team that you, that you raised up, I mean, they are tremendous, tremendous reporters. And, well, thank you. Uh, I mean, look, that, that's uh, definitely a chief mission of our operation over mm-hmm. here. But, you know, and, and I think over, you know, we started in 2012, leading into the to the uh, Obama reelection. And, you know, over the, we're still here in 2021, which, you know, blows our mind. We didn't really think we'd be around for much more than a year. But um, we found early success and we kept writing it. And I think it's a credit, you know, to the talent that we've been able to retain and also to recruit over here. I, I think as we've grown as a, as a publication, we've matured uh, a bit so that we're actually getting more seasoned reporters that start here as opposed to starting, you know, total greenhorns. And right. Up. And well, just like anything that, else. All that credit. I, yeah. I can't take any credit for that. That all goes <laughs> to our, our, our first uh, our first editor in chief, Matthew Continenity, mm-hmm. Matthew Continenity, and, and since 2019, Eliana Johnson, who we recruit from Politico. Yeah. Um, and she's just done an incredible job in, in I think, like continuing to professionalize this operation. And I think if you know, if you look at like the majority of our writing, it's original stuff. It's not just hyperbole, which is I think another detriment of some of the reporting we see on our. Yeah, there is there is some of that on our side. There's some of that on their side too. Uh, on you know both well, sides, there's, there's there. back and forth. Um, but I will say that you know from being a uh, you know back of the napkin idea uh, hatched over some cold beers one night after the campaign has uh, finally gone to bed, uh, you guys have really built a professional um, news outlet that really does break some tremendous news and you guys don't um you know plenty of other publications accept uh opinion from outside right so opinion op-eds and some of these other things but you guys have held really hard against that model that's not something that that you do uh at your publication you are original reporting only is that still the case that is still the case. I mean, there there is the rare occasion we make an op-ed, but it's usually something relevant to something that we are, are covering exclusively or, or with a huge focus on. Uh, we we have always had the uh, the opinion that we need to speak with one clear editorial voice. Um, the Free Beacon's not a forum. There's no comment section on the Free Beacon. There never has been. Right. Um, you know, we're not looking to engage in a conversation. We are looking to tell people like what is going on. Right. and what right. the facts are. Yeah. Let them make the decision. And so I think that... I, I, I think we get caught... I, I think our side just gets caught up in that. Like, we want to, you know, we get distracted with trying to win arguments and, and making philosophical points. And I'm like, guys, this is this is minute-to-minute combat. Like, we're getting our... We're getting our guts punched every day by the left. Mm-hmm. And there needs to be somebody that can present the the 
opposing view. Yeah, and I think that what makes, what's, what makes you all stand out from some of the other publications that are out there is, um, you know, because you have sort of set this hard line, like, you know, we don't take opinions, we, we report the news and we report it in, you know, the way that we do. Um, it, it really, to me, sort of really sort of puts you guys right at the top level of publications for, um, for the right. Tell me a little bit about, um, you know, you're, you're obviously, you're a numbers guy and you're a research guy. Tell me a little bit about, um, you guys have hard passes, obviously, for, the White House, like where where are your reporters and where are they reporting? Oh, no. Are they in the states? Oh, How's that uh, work? We have occasional. <laughs> Once, you know, this is the thing. It's like uh, you know, we have we have some reporters that have been hard passed, mm-hmm. um, but you know, look, we follow the rules and we'll go up and and you know, I just find most of these staged press conferences to be a joke. Yeah, uh, they're not very not necessarily not what that not your model anyway. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, we'll go up and we'll ask tough questions, but like, you know, we're, I'm also not going to have somebody, you know, throw a shoe at whoever's on the podium to get their attention. Um, you know, we call every subject that we talk about for comment. Everybody gets a fair opportunity to respond what we're going to report. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that is something we drill into our reporters. You know, don't just go off of, you know, what somebody told you or, or, or you know, a, a package of information that you've been given and take it as fact. Like, we've we have a fact-checking system here. We have a full editorial policy, and you know we are calling to ask questions. Now, the subjects, you know, that's up to them whether they want to answer it or not. But if they don't answer it, I mean, as you know, PR 101, like then, you know, the publication is going to print the information they have. <laughs> right. No answer but often is a, an admission of guilt, too. <laughs> Unfortunately or not, fortunately, yeah. <laughs> But that's, I mean, that's the business we're in. And I, the reason why it felt so important for me to have a, a conversation with you about what you guys do is because, you know, since you and I came on the scene, since we, you know, started doing what we have done in, in this political communication space, media has changed. I mean, so much. It's just yeah. so different. Do you guys, do you print a hard, uh, are you strictly online? Do you have a print operation as well? Um, how does that look for you? No, all? we're straight we're strictly digital. Uh-huh. Um, it, we just figured that the, the speed of information right now um, is is the most important thing. Once you've got every, once you got the eyes, T's crossed and the facts checked, like get the information out and get it to relevant people. I mean, I, I think it's such a mistake for certain congressional offices and, and candidates and, and government officials to not engage with partisan press. Mm-hmm. Primarily because of the speed of information. It, you know, if you want to get, you need to get your side out because guess what? Like we got like professionals over here that are going to elevate the information. You may think it's just going to sit on a, you know, if you think it's just a hack partisan website, you may think it's going to sit here. But I'm telling you, if the information is solid and it always is on the Washington Free Beacon, mm-hmm. it will elevate and it will get, it will become a, it will become a much bigger story if you don't try to like get your side in. Yeah. And sometimes it is a big story and it's going to blow up anyway. You guys are so entrepreneurial too, in terms of like promoting the news that you do. I mean, many, many publications are also doing that. Do you feel like the beacon, um, you all do that and your reporters do that, or is it incumbent on the reporter to do that enterprise work to get their publication out there? Like how do you guys approach those kinds of things? 
Well, I, I think that, you know, we, we want our reporters just focusing on the story. We, you know, we want them to go out there and, and run all the traps on, on covering their bases before we push something to print. But once it's, you know, once that link is ready to go live, like we have a team of people that are pushing it to, to relevant parties that are on that beat. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, we, I've been sending out emails, um, you know, with our breaking news to, you know, a, a list of, you know, what used to be called the Gang of 500. I've got like an imitation list of that, and you know, mm-hmm. people have moved on and moved out, and I've tried to replace them with people that replace them. But, you know, there's what you, you have to get this information in front of people's eyes because the, the way the search engines operate, the way the social media pages operate, they change all the time. Mm-hmm. What worked yesterday isn't necessarily going to work. Yeah, the tomorrow. algorithm adjusts yeah. all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's it. So, we have always taken an approach of like, we are not going to be solely, I'll say Facebook. Um, we are not going to be a Facebook dependent publication. We are not mm-hmm. going to engage in the clickbait games because ultimately we're about the information. We're not about, um, we're not about the traffic numbers. Yeah. Well, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And that's one of the things that, you know, even in communication, you have to coach people about, like, you can't rely strictly on social media. Yes, it needs to be an element of your campaign. But because of the algorithms, sure. there's just no way to be uh, completely accurate. And, and I'm sure that the digital teams would challenge me on that to some degree. They're very smart about figuring out how to access people and access the right audiences. But I still think it's, it's a challenge. So it's smart of you guys to do, to do the retail uh, communication that you do that way. Are your teams, um, do you guys, you guys do a ton of radio too. You do a lot of radio. Your reporters are really yeah, good about I, we, that. We, uh, that's something that, um, you know, we look. We know our audience is that conservatives listen to talk radio, mm-hmm. and talk radio is always or, or is typically always clamoring to speak with reporters that are that have original information, and are and are kind of experts in, in on these topics. And you know, when you're when you're talking about stuff that's in local markets, it's a great way to kind of like get to folks that don't necessarily live online. I mean, I think I think Beltway Media lives online. Like, you need to be able to communicate if you're trying to if you're trying to get Beltway Media and you're trying to get you know New York Media. Like, those people are on Twitter and and they're on there all day. Yeah. And But I think that like we're trying to also get our information out to the public at large and i think that uh you know radio is a great way to do that and, and well, local tv and we do some local tv stuff too yeah oh yeah, yeah. try to get on national tv whenever we can you guys but are national s- tv is also just as kind of a zoo <laughs> it's it well that's a challenge that is probably the challenge that many of the people that listen to this podcast are familiar with in terms of pitching pitching tv <laughs> is about the hardest thing that there ever is to do and get um especially now it's even harder than it ever has been before so all right so so Harrison, tell me this: um, If we are, if I'm, you know, working on a project and I want to come to you, what kinds of stories uh, should I consider for for pitches to the Washington Free Beacon? Well, I think number one, it's got to be relevant to the type of information. It's got to be like in the the, the stadium of information that we typically report on. Mm-hmm. I, I think um, I the the least successful pitches that I see are, are from people that have no idea what we do. Yeah, um, and you know, may, maybe I know them socially. Maybe I know them like outside of politics or outside of uh, outside of media. Um, but like all of a sudden they're like, oh well, I can get this information in, in this publication. It has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think you got you you really have to do you know you have to know the media universe to be successful. And I think a lot of it is just like 
you know, make sure that the information you're pitching is fresh, that other people haven't already covered it. I, I, I hate getting pitches from things that like, oh, you know, the, the New York Times covered this, uh, last, you know, two weeks ago. Uh, we'd love to get some more information. Mean, we would love for you guys just basically <laughs> to do what they just did. Yeah. Like, no, they just did it. Like, uh, no, thanks. <laughs> give give I, us first. <laughs> we'll, we'll take first crack. And, you right. know, so I, I think you got to give the reporter something, you know, unless the reporter just owes you a massive favor, you got to give the reporter, you know, something interesting, something fresh, um, and also better be factual. Yeah, right. Well, right. And it's got to be relevant. It's got to totally. be relevant to the audience. It's got to be relevant to the publication. Do your homework. And that's the whole, that is the, of yeah. the uh, consistently across the board, no matter who I've talked to, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Fox News, you name it, whoever I've talked to, the advice from every reporter that I've spoken to has always been know what the reporter is covering because these blanket pitches yep. to, to, you know, I mean, yeah, sure. Clients love to hear that you've pitched 50 reporters. Let's face it. If you've pitched 50 reporters, they are not 50 quality pitches. If you've pitched four reporters, then most likely you've done your homework and you've thought out what it is a reporter cares about. So every time I'm on a conversation on this podcast, I try to get a sense of like, what's your beat? What do you care about? What do you want us to hit you up with? Um, and that has been, I think the, even the guests have enjoyed that. Um, all right. So switching gears, uh, you guys sure. are, uh, you know, here we are, we're back, we're back amongst the living and we're out and about what, uh, so what do you guys, what keeps you busy on the weekends? Once you, uh, once, once you don't have to be in the office and paying attention to the news. Uh, two uh, very small, high-energy individuals ah. um, that, that, uh, are, that are both under the age of four. The little humans and are keeping you one, busy, are they? Yeah, one I just caught uh, doing his best Michael Myers imitation uh, yesterday, um, who <laughs> snuck up uh, and, and yanked a gigantic kitchen knife off the, uh, oh, God. Off the counter Us. and started walking around uh, with it. Oh, good. Yeah. Uh, in, his, in his wobbly steps. Mm -hmm. Parenting is fun, isn't it? <laughs> Never a dull moment. Yeah, I, it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, I mean, the, I, I've now got two kids, but I've only been doing this for, you know, not not even quite four years at this point. So mm -hmm. I feel like a new parent, but it's just like. Uh, Trust me, I got teenagers. I still feel like a new parent. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the second those babies show up, you're just like, I, I mean, your whole perspective changes. I mean, weekends, uh, what's a weekend? Anymore? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're still up. You're still, the crack of dawn hits, like you're still up. There's no sleeping in. There's no, no. Um, you know, everything does revolve around them, but like you just kind of like redefine fun and it is yeah. a blast. It's the most rewarding thing ever. And yeah. So I love chasing those little. Those little little creatures around. Unless they're wielding a, a kitchen knife, then you got something to be worried about. Yeah. All right. So well, yeah, I mean, there's always, never a dull moment. There's God. a suicide attempt in my house every every third. I time. know it. Yeah, <laughs> teetering on the edge of the stair. Oh my gosh, those days. Ooh, yeah. Your hair, your hair will dramatically change the color of it if it hasn't already. Uh, all right. So yeah. the final question always on the podcast is uh, I ask for a recommendation for a future guest. Um, and you've got a great suite of reporters you work with. You've got a lot of colleagues and friends that you like working with at other publications. Is there somebody that strikes you as someone that might be a fun and interesting guest for a future episode? Yes, uh, I've got I've got one. And, and maybe I, I will do my best to facilitate uh, this. But I also don't want to promise something. That, okay. Uh, that's okay. Sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. Uh, you know. Free Beacon alumni uh, Elizabeth Harrington was just appointed the uh, uh, chief spokesperson for former President Donald Trump. Oh. 
I think that would be a, a very interesting interview for you. Okay. And uh, Liz, Liz uh, I think this was our second job, her second job. Mm-hmm. She left us to go work at the RNC and, and has just recently gotten a huge promotion. And that would be interesting. Okay. Well, I'd love to hear from her. I mean, awesome. it's, it's always uh, Liz is awesome. Awesome. Well, good. Well, you and I will work behind the scenes to see if we can make that happen. She'd be an interesting guest to have, and it'd be great to hear from her. All right, Aaron Harrison, this was really fun. I'm just, I'm so glad to talk to you. Let's do this again in real life over some cold beverages. Um, thanks again for being a guest. <laughs> Thank you. And that's today's Friday Reporter Podcast, a podcast in partnership with PR Daily, a tremendous and helpful guide for all things public relations. Find us there on their website and join us again for another episode soon. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects.